Welcome to Payne on Politics, a podcast where host Dr. Gregory Payne of Emerson College sits down with fellow experts to discuss the current state of politics, public opinion, and global affairs. In a world growing increasingly complex, communication and critical thinking is key. This only makes the Emerson motto, expression necessary to evolution, more true. Hello, this is Gregory Payne, the Chair of Communication Studies at Emerson College, the first communication department in the United States. And I'm here for Payne on Politics with a very, very good friend and colleague. I have not been able to speak to America's favorite pollster. Uh, that's my view and of that of many others. Uh, during the summer, he's been very, very busy with polls all over the place. Uh, last night, I turned on three different networks and I saw your latest poll. And of course, that's an intro to Spencer Kimball. Spencer, great to see you. Can you give us a synopsis of the many polls that you've been doing? Well, Dr. Payne, it is great to see you again. And I do see you here. So uh, welcome back to Boston. A lot of travels. But uh, yeah, we've had a great... Uh, uh, election cycle. Uh, the primary season is almost over. Uh, we have our New England states coming up uh, September 6th here in Mass, and then we'll knock it off with New Hampshire, uh, Maine, or Vermont, and then uh, Rhode Island, and then uh, I think we have Delaware. But my big takeaway from this midterm election season is the turnout numbers. And if we go state by state, you start comparing it and you start to see large numbers on the Republican side. And that's something that people have to keep in mind as we're looking at the general election. If the Republicans are turning out in large numbers in the primaries, what's going to happen in the general? My suggestion would be they're going to turn out in large numbers again. The question will be, can the Democrats get their base excited enough to get back out there? I think they're seeing these primary numbers and they're going to try to pass some policies to get people excited. So Spencer, one thing that, of course, has occurred is the Supreme Court has come down with regard to uh, uh, repealing the uh, uh, abortion rights uh, law. And I'm wondering, from your perspective, we saw what had happened in Kansas. I know Izzy was giving some ideas there. How do you think that's galvanizing people, especially Democrats, women voters in both parties? Well, it's really impacting the younger voter. And what's happening is this is an issue that's growing with time. So we remember the leaked documents uh, maybe came out a couple of weeks or a month before the decision came out. And we didn't really see abortion access as a top issue for voters. When we ask about the penundrum of issues, it was just one of, of many. The economy was the top issue. But over the last few weeks and the months since this has passed, it has grown in intensity. And I expect it to continue to grow as an important issue, particularly with younger female voters who are have a propensity not to vote in midterm elections. So the question is, will this issue bring out this vote who now can see directly the impact of the leg- of the uh, the ruling? Well, you've cited earlier, Spencer, the, uh, the fact that Republicans are coming out more in the primaries. You've got this surge among maybe younger voters coming out, maybe in the, a blue type of uh, response. How do you see those balancing out? What do you expect in terms of the, uh, the midterm elections? Well, uh, I bet on the younger vote in 2018 after the Parkland shootings, and it didn't develop. And so at this point, I'm not ready to bet again on that younger vote coming out. The question is, if they do come out, I think you, you, you see some some potential Democratic pickups, maybe in Pennsylvania, maybe even in Ohio. But if they don't come out, then your Democrats are going to struggle in Nevada. They're going to struggle in Arizona. They're going to struggle in Georgia because that's the base of their, their vote. So you see uh, Fetterman in Pennsylvania talking about marijuana policy because he thinks that will get out some vote. We see them pass the uh, student loan So it's all being targeted towards certain demographic. On the flip side, maybe it would be better to target the older vote, those who are more 
you know, coming out consistently, they vote at 75% versus these younger folks who vote at 40%. Uh, from your perspective, Spencer, also, and we've looked at this, uh, former President Trump has done quite well with some of his candidates, and that might ring well for Trump. But how do you think that stacks up when you've got a lot of MAGA candidates? And of course, Arizona even being referred to by some pundits as MAGAzona, with people who have basically said that uh, Joe Biden didn't win the election. Is this is this hurting Republican chances in the Senate as uh, Senator McConnell thought? I mean, how do you think this is all going to work? So I think you got to look at it both at a national level and then it's state by state. So uh, we take the example of Mar-a-Lago, uh, the, uh, the FBI raid, the, the papers. Nationally, it hurts Trump by about nine points. So people are less likely to support Trump because of, the, of that happening. But we looked at Ohio, we looked at Pennsylvania, and then we looked at Georgia, and it helps Trump. They're more likely. So you get into these battleground states and it's a difference of opinion than what we're seeing in the national polls. And I was just thinking, boy, we've seen this in the last two cycles. You win the national, but the states are more competitive than those numbers. And that's what I think is shaping up for 2024. Okay, if we if we explore what waters that we've never been into, if we did get to a situation where the former president is indicted, do you think that will continue to rev up his base in terms of those states with more turnout? Does this benefit him? Many people have said that the former president thinks that it does, even though that is kind of a legal uh, scenario that I wouldn't want to be in. Yeah, I would agree with that assessment. I certainly wouldn't want to be in those shoes. But with that said, you know, we all remember the line from Trump when he ran. He could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and they would still get elected. And I don't think it's really changed. I think it's only manifested itself in actual activities. And we're all seeing it. And we're like, wow. That was right. And we're dealing with that. So, no, um, you know, uh, it seems that it's, it's a rally. And my case in point would be the Wisconsin primary a couple of weeks ago when the raid happened. We were polling that race and um, what we thought was a potential upset. Uh, it was, we thought it was going to be a tight race with Nichols and in the, in the, uh, for the Republican nomination for governor. Then you have the FBI raid on Monday. Nichols ends, up win- Nichols ends up winning by four or five points. I think he got a push from that raid the next day. There was a rally around Trump's base. And I think you're going to continue to see that. And in midterms elections, when turnout is a little different, that, that rally around the base could be the difference in a lot of states where we're looking at very close elections. I'm w- just one more question with regard to that. It appears that Uh, When the FBI released some of the information yesterday, there were more confidential, very confidential matters that uh, were found with passports in his desk drawer, et cetera. Carl Rove and other Republicans have basically said that they think this is problematic for the president. Do you think there is a time when you see more people? I would also include Laura Ingram also did say that she was concerned about this. Are we getting to a point where maybe the, the former president is more vulnerable and this might open up? an avenue or a lane for Ron DeSantis and others? Well, we are getting to a boiling point as far as announcing 2024 candidacies. You know, Joe Biden's in the news right now about how he had to walk back. Is he announcing, not announcing FEC stuff? So we can start to see 2024 is coming. So as soon as November 9th comes, remember the elections on the 8th, it's all on the 9th. So can you indict a candidate that's running for office? When does the indictment come? Does it come at all? And for a lot of people, they think it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf. They've, we've heard this story so many times about Trump and, and this, but nothing seems to ever happen. And so at some point, people might start pushing that off and not have the impact that you might think it would. So even if he's indicted, you think that might not have an impact? 
no, that that could still rally uh, his base around him as a conspiracy to keep him from holding office. You got to understand there's a different, you know, if you watch the debates around the country, the Republicans aren't necessarily talking about gas prices or or home ownership. They're talking about the 2020 election how it was stolen of that nature. And that's a, uh, you know, it takes up 10, uh, a quarter of the debate on the Republican side. That's what they're talking about. I don't know if that plays in the general election or does it play and it really excites the base. And they say, yeah, we really, you know, got shorthanded last time. We're going to come out in droves and take it back in 22. So there's a lot, obviously, uh, up for up to for analysis uh, over these next uh, 70 days or so. I'm sure Spencer will be continuing to spend more time that. A couple of other areas I'd like to hit at. Joe Biden on the campaign trail said that he was looking to forgive some of the student loan debt. And from your perspective, how do you think that is breaking for him? He's facing criticism on from both parties. Uh, do you think that, again, rallies some of those younger people who I think, uh, it goes without saying, have not been too mobilized around Joe Biden? Well, I think you have underestimated how much the younger vote does not like Joe Biden. Uh, that 18 to 34-year-olds, uh, they, they have the lowest approval of him. They're leaving him in 2024. So when we ask these ballot test questions in our polls, we're not asking it to just to throw it out there, what we're doing is studying the effects of where these voters are moving in 2024 and comparing it to 2022. And what we see is the 18 to 34, they're sticking with Fetterman. They're sticking with um, uh, Warnock. They're sticking with uh, Ryan in Ohio. They're sticking with the Democrats. But when we ask about 24, they're 10 points lower on Biden. So they vote two to one Democrat, these younger voters uh, in 22 for the Democrats. But when we ask them about 24, they're now 55-45. And they're not pleased with this administration. We'll see if the student loan uh, relief is something that bolts his, his, um, his popularity. It might hurt him. Uh, it's, sometimes with these policies, we're not you know, totally sure how they'll play out. Obviously, the marijuana policy would be another one that would be kind of focused on that younger vote to try to get them out. And the question is, what, what is that magic bullet that would get them excited to vote in this election? One person you just mentioned who does have gravitas and seems to be getting some Velcro, even though he, of course, suffered the, uh, uh, the, the, the medical issue, uh, is Fetterman from Pennsylvania. He is someone who is not a traditional Democrat in many ways. Uh, he embraces uh, some issues that seem to be very authentic and resonate, I think, with a lot of independents and conservative Democrats as well as Republicans. Uh, what do you think of Fetterman as someone who might emerge not just as successful in Pennsylvania, but also as a Democratic alternative in 2024? Well, I think uh, Fetterman has got some juice. Obviously, he had the stroke and he's got some, you know, from when I'm thinking long term, you know, those are concerns that voters are going to have around the country if you become a national candidate. Though right now, his unfavorables are, are fairly high. His popularity is higher than Oz. So he's in a good place running against uh, Oz as far as popularity, favorability goes. Oz is very unfavorable, but be, but it's kind of overshadowing some of the unfavorables of Fetterman. So because this person is so unfavorable, you look at this person, oh, that's not bad. But I think if you had Fetterman maybe running against a, a different alternative, his you would be a different situation and, and perhaps the expectations would be a little lower. Now, there's certainly polls out there that have him up by double digits. We have it as a much closer race. And obviously time will, will play out there. Uh, 
my biggest concern now for Fetterman is his not debating Oz, uh, particularly in September. He could get out there and demonstrate and then create that momentum to come out of this, you know, with a big 15 point win and then maybe project himself as a presidential candidate uh, for 2024. But without that, um, he's going to have to show himself on the debate stage, in my opinion, at some point for long term success. He might be able to get past Dallas without a debate. But if he wants to move on, he'll have to demonstrate his ability to talk to the American people. OK, I think uh, we would agree on the importance of that. In addition to Fetterman, and we, of course, wish him as well as any other candidate good health. Who else do you see on the horizon in both parties that we might be looking at in 2024? Well, that's a that's a really good question. I'm looking at Biden and Trump. So I see Joe Biden is the Democratic nominee, is the Democratic president. You don't switch, uh, you know, uh, midstream. So I think he's still the nominee. I don't see the alternative. I don't see Bernie Sanders really clamoring. I don't see Elizabeth Warren. I think they've been, you know, kind of sidelined with the student loan bill. So who would be that fresh face? There could be a potential upset in in one of these races, maybe a Tim Ryan comes out of Ohio and upsets and, and uses that as a launching board for a presidential run. You know, they're talking about like Gavin Newsom out in California. I think his numbers are a little bit weaker than what they're showing. Uh, I know he did well in that uh, recall election, winning by 22, but he was struggling for a long time out there in our numbers. We caught that movement at the end, but there was a movement. There wasn't. He wasn't just up by 22 the whole time. So he had to get people back on board that he was doing the right things. So I, I think there's some vulnerability there. Uh, but certainly the Democrats, you know, maybe if Laura Kelly was able to beat Schmidt in Kansas for governor again, you know, that's a pretty strong win if she's able to hold that. That could propel her into a, um, a potential run. Tony Evers, maybe out of Wisconsin. But again, I think the nominee is Joe Biden at this point. And so all of these alternatives, you know, I think are fun for conversation. Okay, Spencer, one other question, and then we'll let you go. But, you know, you have such a rich resource of information on this, so it's hard to just cut it down to a succinct few questions. Uh, one person who has stood out to many people uh, is Liz Cheney. Uh, of course, she did not do well in her, uh, in her election effort. My question is, for those people who would like her to run or whatever, is she not someone like a Ross Perot who could sap votes away from particular candidates and uh, cause potentially Trump to end up winning if it was between Biden and Trump? Well, I would think if she, if Liz Cheney, first of all, she's not Ross Perot because she doesn't have billions of dollars. Uh, Ross Perot had billions of dollars and was able to run an effective candidacy in 92, took, uh, made it onto the debate stage, made it again in 96. A lot of people claim that he's the one who held back Bush and uh, gave Clinton presidencies without majority votes. Um, in this case, if Liz Cheney would, would run, I would think that she would actually be pulling from the Trump vote. So it would really help out Biden. It would be that moderate conservative vote. I don't see any moderate liberal coming over to Liz Cheney. I mean, she's pretty conservative prior to this new era of conservatism. Uh, so I think a lot of her policies wouldn't stick well. She would pull that moderate. The um, What's the, uh, the guy out of Utah? Um, Evan McMullen. Uh, McMullen, third party candidate. He's really a Republican. He's going to pull that. But he'll but in Utah, they're not running a Democrat. So McMullen has a better shot because he'll get the Democratic vote. But of course, Utah is heavily Republican. So um, but those are some of the, the insides that, that you're looking at. Um, the independent, really tough in presidential politics to be able to create the organization 
to really be able to run an effective. I mean, if we remember Gary Johnson, he was here at Emerson with uh, Bill Weld. Um, hard to get traction. John Anderson, J- same thing. Yeah, um, hard to get traction and hard to get on that debate stage. And without the debate stage, then you're you're not really a relevant candidate. Well, as we know, and you know this better than anyone, uh, polling is a snapshot in time. As we get ready and we enter September, if you were saying right now, do you, do the Democrats hold the Senate? Um, yeah, I think they do with the president, with the vice president breaking the, the, eh, uh, and the, the more I think about it, I mean, races are all tightening and they're all tightening in one direction. And people, you got to step back and look at that and what's happening. And don't underestimate what we just saw in these primaries. Huge turnouts. Look at Missouri. That was a tremendous turnout. It was a basic turnout on the Republican side, 600, 650. Look at the Democrats, only 350. When Claire McCaskill was in there, half a million people voted in that primary. Where are these people? And the question is, can the Democrats turn on the light switch for the general and get them all out? Because the Republicans have shown in this primary that they're already motivated to vote. Do you think that Biden is on the right track when he's talking about uh, the danger to democracy, et cetera? Do you think that's a good issue as well as trying to at least advance some of the wins that he's had in Congress. Well, I think Biden has noticed that his initial uh, narrative that he was going to be the uniter in chief, it made him look weak to a lot of people. And weakness is not what people are about. And that's what I think held down his, his approvals um, and, you know, it hurt some other areas. So now he's the opposite. Now he's being more forceful about uh, really the Trump support within the Republican Party. And it kind of breaks away from the brand that he tried to create, right? You're the uniter. Now you're saying, no, I got to be a tough on these on these folks and let the people know that I'm fighting for, you know, th- this other side. So he's kind of in a split right now. And he's doing fine, you know, as far as his popularity goes. He's been sitting around 40. We have him up at 42. His highest popularity since February. Uh, I would attribute a lot of that to the gas prices. Uh, and I attribute a lot of that to his trip to Saudi. And I think that really helped out. And um, I think those were good strategic moves because if gas had gone to five bucks, then I wouldn't even hesitate. The Republicans are going to take the House. They're going to take the Senate. But now that it's coming back down, I hesitate because it could go in either direction, which makes the cycle so exciting. Well, one thing that I always find is when I talk with you, you answer many questions. But then I think given the depth of knowledge that you have, you've provoked me to think in many more areas. So all I have to say is, my good friend, I have to come back and see Spencer Kimball in terms of Emerson polling so you can give us the insights on races that seem right now, you would say, up for grabs. Yeah, and I I just say thank you to Emerson College for this tremendous opportunity. I mean, to be able to sit here every day, study the races, watch these debates. You know, I'm sitting here, hey, I get to watch all these debates. These are hours of time. Um, This gets to be my job. So uh, I really want to thank the college and the opportunity that they've provided and looking forward to a great midterms ahead. I think having been here for more than 35 years, I would say one of the brightest lights that we have on the horizon is Emerson polling. You continue to take us in areas that we have not been. And I too would like to thank Emerson College. It really is a place where if you've got an idea, you can make it happen. So for Paint on Politics, let's continue to have those ideas and let's go to Emerson College to make sure that they happen.